right, welcome back to Science in Between. I'm Scott. And I'm Ollie. And this is episode 15, is it? I believe so. 14 yeah. or 15. We should, this is, it's not that hard. We should be able to keep track. Right. It's not and, like we're at 400 and something yet. Right. Well, with, you know, it, it all kind of blurs together. Like my, my days of the week right now, blurs day. Blurs I'm day. Just blurs day. And they all just, this is episode 15, Scott. Yeah, I just confirmed. Excellent. Well done. Yes. I know. Three claps for Ollie. Three. <laughs> do clapping back yes all right so you want to set this up for for the our listeners yeah i'm going to set it up so we can knock it down that's what yeah. i'm gonna do right here right here okay Darn straight i like it so, so uh so this week we decided we would talk a little bit about how we think about engaging students so we've talked about some of the sort of um discourse practices and 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 then sort of classroom management stuff around like how do you put kids in groups and how do you think about that and how do you distribute work um but i think one of the things that we really advocate for pedagogically is that kids have agency that they have control that they have that their ideas are driving things um because that keeps them engaged and 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 interested in what's going on and it makes them learn better um right fundamentally so we decided this week we talk a little bit about that and how we think about that in this crazy cross-platform in-between time um, when, you know, it's hard enough to do when you got the kids in class with you, but now you've got some on the screen and some in your room and some, you know, whatever, only online and you're trying to do all that. So, right. and, so that's and, the plan. And you have students working at different types of the day and some are working synchronously and some are working asynchronously and you know, face-to-face -face and online. And that's a, that's a huge challenge. And, yep. and we feel you, we feel you cause we're doing it too. Right. At least, yeah, yeah. Darn straight. Yeah. So, so where do you want to start with this? I mean, cause there's so many ways we can, uh, you know, unpeel this or, you know, yeah, I don't know. Layers. It's a good question. I think, you know, I guess one of the things I'll talk about is, um, so, my undergraduate teacher, uh, pre-service teachers that I'm teaching, I'm teaching a methods course this semester. And one of the projects we're doing started this week, last night, in fact, um, which is we as a class have developed a seven week, it's one hour a week, a seven week curriculum for upper bound math and science kids. Um, and it's focused on COVID and, um, and, and explicitly how to protect more vulnerable populations, um, which means, you know, considerations of race and so socioeconomic status and things like that, as well as age and pre-existing conditions. So, um, so this thing started last night and um, we thought, you know, the initial signups were there were going to be 19 kids in class and we get there and, you know, one kid's there and eventually right. there were five. <laughs> right after, you know, after about, it was supposed to be an hour long class after about 15 minutes in, there were five kids that got there and that's where it, ca it capped out. Um, so so yeah, what'd that feel like? What, yeah. Were, I mean, it's a gut punch, right? I mean, right. you really want, you really want, um, you know, we, we worked really hard. These students worked really hard. This was the first lesson. These two guys who were teaching the first lesson have been, you know, really hammering on this to try and, because they have to set up this initial phenomenon. They have to sort of introduce the idea and help kids start to engage with it. And, and they were, you know, excited and ready and had this master plan. And then, you know, it all just went off the rails really fast because it's like, oh, well, there's one kid here. So, um, and what can you really do with one kid? At least not from right. our points, points of view of learning, right? Right. 
and there's, you know, there's four, basically four teachers plus a couple of other folks that were there from the schools. So there were like six adults and one kid in the beginning. Um, but I think, you know, it brings out for me a couple of things, just, but one of them that I think is specifically relevant today or two, one or two, it's always two things with me. Um, the, it's always two things. Um, so the first thing is that, you know, I think this, this environment is hard for kids, right? Like some of these kids are, they've been on zoom for, for seven hours that day. And now they're being asked to hang out for yet another hour of their day on the, on the computer with teachers doing science stuff. And, and that's tough. It's a tough ask. Um, and then I think the other thing is like, it's, it, it worked okay eventually once there were kids in there, but it is hard to, um, to get them engaged in these conversations and, and motivated and even, you know, trying to get them their ideas out there so you can use them. I mean, if you don't have kids ideas, it's very difficult to drive the curriculum with them. So I think that that's, um, so there is a sort of fundamental problem about participation here that, that underlies all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some some things with uh, the medium that we're using, like Zoom, and and all the other tools that are uh, trying to promote or trying to recreate some of the things that are happening in a face to face classroom. I mean, there's it's it they're they're not uh, as user friendly, and there's a fatigue that comes with it. After a while, you just and we talked about this in a previous episode. Um, but I think that. You know, for me, uh, and I am going to kind of go a little cognitive here, is that I I think a lot about when I think about uh, like the things that recruit interest and the things that motivate kids. Um, I read this book by Sarah Rose Cavanaugh years ago about, uh, and it was about emotions and, and learning. And so there's a whole big, you know, research area around emotions. And the one thing that I think like that sticks with me from that book uh, was this thing called control value theory. And, and this is getting like kind of out there, but, you know, students are motivated or students uh, are interested when, you know, they feel like they can control aspects of their learning and they find value in the experience. And, and I think that I've tried to use that as almost like a, you know, as the secrets, you know, secret key, I guess, to uh, designing things is like, okay, have I, built enough control in this so that students can be successful. And then the other side of it is, uh, is this an experience that students are gonna find some sort of value in? And that could be that they find value because the, the activity itself is something is useful for them, or if it's something that they're, you know, they're personally connected to. And I think that's where you were when you all de- developed this, this unit, right? Is that one, you thought, okay, this is something that's in current events. So this is something that's absolutely r- worthwhile. It's, it's something that, you know, is affecting, you know, different populations of students and different populations of families and things. So it, it checks and checks. And so, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, from that perspective, you know, what other aspects maybe, you know, I don't know, like, I, I like it's, it, there's a, a part here that for me, whenever I have like a lesson or an activity goes south, I, I try to like deconstruct it. Like, where did it go wrong? You know, mm. and, and, or where, where did I make, you know, a flaw in my, you know, design. And, and I, I think that the control and value stuff is one of the starting points for me is like, and I would say that most of the things were for me were a lesson or activity or even a classroom discussion or something that didn't go well, I could probably attribute it to someplace. Now that just might be my lens that, you know, that I'm applying that lens to this, that it's, 
you know, either I didn't um, give the students enough control or didn't, it was not in their wheelhouse that they had control over their success, or it was something that they didn't see value in, or I didn't connect it enough to give them the value or show them the value, you know? Yeah. I know that's a completely different perspective than, than you would probably take on it, but, but I well, think that, maybe go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I think that, you know, like, I, I think this is something like the, the, uh, how people learn, right. This is, mm-hmm. this is, this is a, a lot of this stuff is actually in the new, how people learn too, like the, the sequel, right. Some of this yeah. is, in, and, and you know, I don't know how much you're using that with your students, but there's certainly a lot of uh, me and my colleagues who are using it with our students at, at Millersville. Um, but there's, you know, they that that's where they start unpacking some of the growth mindset stuff, and you know, all of that stuff kind of think fits into this milieu that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Right? Very milieu. nice. I know. I just as long that. as we're going esoteric, you should drop some like fancy <laughs> French in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I do take a little bit of a different perspective on that. I mean, the, my, my um, sort of access point that I would run in parallel to what you were saying is I think about it in terms of authenticity. So there, there, there are these components, like there's sort of two general kinds of authenticity, right. That you can think about. So one is the, is the one that you're describing, which is this sort of, it's authentic to me. Like this is a real problem that I can understand and, and connect to. And so, you know, obviously something like COVID, which is what we're talking about, that's easy. That's low hanging fruit on that. Um, but there's lots of ways to do that that aren't necessarily a pandemic. But this idea of like, yeah, this thing that we're going to talk about or study or engage with is something that I feel a personal connection to, right? And that and that draws kids in, obviously. Um, and then the other kind of authenticity, which I think um, is actually sometimes underrated, um, but maybe more difficult uh, to to think about how to do is um, authentic to the practices of science. And we talk about that a lot, but this, this idea that actually when you, when you give kids interesting science problems that aren't, don't have rote answers and aren't just sort of like one and done um, there isn't like, it's, it's a human capacity for us to be engaged and want to, find out more about that stuff. Now, right. it's not always true and not every problem is going to engage every kid, but that's true about the the first kind of authenticity too, because, you know, if you, if we have a thing where it's like, you know, this is a classic example and, um, you know, you're sitting in class and you ask kids, Hey, do you have any questions about science? And Ollie's got this great question about, Hey, my dad has asthma and we live near this, you know, whatever, fiberglass plants. And I'm wondering if there's any reason that, you know, I don't know what it is, but you know, something that, and that's the thing that Ollie is really connected to, but I may have no interest in that. Right. So, so devising these sort of problems or, or phenomenon in our, in our uh, world that we want kids to engage with and explain is tricky because they, no matter what you pick, it's never going to capture everybody. It's not going to hit all the marks. Right. right. So there, so there's this question of how do you, how do you pick things and then how do you use those things to engage everyone? So it's not just the pet project of one or two kids. 
But, but I think that the other part, I think when you bring up authenticity, I think about us as, as teachers too. And I think we, we talked about this, you know, like why we chose to be teachers and things, you know, in an earlier episode, but I, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but what I want to do is instead talk about the, the kind of the authentic classroom environment that we create, right. Where we create sort of an environment where curiosity is, is something that is celebrated and where if, if it's not necessarily a subject that I might be interested in, but you've helped to craft or create this environment of curiosity that maybe I jump on board because, you know, that's the, that's the culture of this classroom. That's the environment that you've helped to foster. And I think that's probably pretty important for this, this topic too, right? Is that it's not just authenticity mm -hmm. of the subject and uh, the problem and the phenomenon, but also the the type of culture and environment that we create. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and it's a it's a nice transition to sort of maybe a second um, idea here. So there's the, one of the ways that you can bring in kids and engage them and make them, you know, more connected and and wanting to to talk and think is is around these issues of of motivation and authenticity, but. The other thing that is critically important is, is this issue of classroom culture, right? And that how you establish and speak to the kids about their ideas is also fundamentally important because if you're, if, if, you know, and we talked about this in a previous episode, this idea yeah. of IRE, right? Yeah. So yep. where you have a kid who you ask a question that has a very pat answer, the kid get, you know, says their answer and you evaluate it as a right or wrong. And that's a, that's a really standard classroom discourse um, pattern. Um, and by doing that, you disenfranchise and, and, um, and make kids feel like they're not really part of a classroom community. I mean, it, it gives them this, uh, well, the teacher believes that it gives, gives kids agency and engagement, but in the end, it really is just a, a way to disenfranchise the vast majority of those kids. And that's critically important. So thinking about like, yeah, it's important first to, to get something that kids are going to care about and talk about, but then how you talk with them about it becomes right. incredibly important. Yeah, because you can you can't say, uh, hey, that that's a that's a dumb response, or yeah. why would you think that? Or you know, I my 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 daughter is a huge Hank Green guy. Do you know who Hank Green is? Mm -hmm. no. All right, so the the Greens, it's John Green and Hank Green. John Green is the author. He wrote. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And Hank Green's his brother, and I think Hank Green might be. He's connected to science somehow. I, I, she was just, you know, showing me a ton of his TikToks recently because she's mm. like, Dad, do you know who Hank Green is? And, and so he was talking about learning. So I think he's in science somehow, or science adjacent, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. and, uh, with this, he was talking about how he maybe it was a response that he got from someone or a response that like maybe a, a, a student or a, uh, a sibling or somebody had received, it was literally that it was, you know, Hey, why would you ask that stupid question? And that's a, that shuts down. That shuts it down. Like if we're in the, in the business of learning, then we're always going to be uncovering things that they, people don't know just by the design of what learning is all about. Right. Yeah. And so how we approach learning and how we approach uh, students responses when they don't know, I mean, that's the whole business we're in, right. Is, mm. is helping them learn what they don't know and helping them figure out ways to figure it out. Right. And, yep. and, our disposition to that is really critical. 
how we re- we approach that, where we position ourselves, and how we respond to it, is this the most critical thing? Yeah, and so so that really, while you were talking about that, it, re- it struck a chord with me, and I was thinking about. Um, like one of the things is, it, it, yeah, it's obvious if you say, hey, Ollie, that was a stupid idea. Right. Or even just Ollie, that's wrong. Right. But but we all know that it's much more subtle than that. Right. And so teachers can even say things like, oh, well, you're on the right track or that's really close. Or, oh, right. you know, <laughs> if you if you, uh, you know, oh, you know, they, they or, or just sort of like, uh-huh, you know, and and even that sort of neutral response can often have the same impact as I mean, it's obviously not as bad as saying, hey, you're a dummy. But I think the thing that's interest that struck me, so that isn't the thing that struck me. The thing that struck me is one of the hard things I think in these new environments when you're remote with students is the that subtlety um, gets lost yeah. in the worst in the worst possible way, right? In the sense that kids are gonna probably default to your less than enthusiastic response to their answer as if you were saying something negative or neutral. So, so I think we're really in a tough spot here in that regard, that it's, it's much harder to communicate to kids that you're interested and you want their ideas when the bandwidth is so low and the, you know, there's lag and it's impossible to read body or not, not as easy, not impossible, but you know, it, it, you know, all these things that they say about zoom that make it hard. I think that's like a, a really, if we could have a nugget that you really had to consider about this, um, is, well, that's tough in these environments. And again, especially if you've got kids in class and up on the screen, like, you know, I was teaching last night too, and I'm sadly aware of how much more attention I pay to the people in class, um, and how much I'm reading their body language. And the people in the screen are just like ciphers to me. Like they're just sitting there. I don't know what they're doing. I can't tell where they're looking. Like it's very, very strange. And it makes a real disconnect and makes it much harder to build this sense of, um, we're a community, we care about each other and and we're trying to support each other. Yeah, it's almost like they're, you know, when they're doing this like half, half time in, half time out. Like that's the thing our, my son, who's, you know, a high school student is doing, you know, it's, it's almost like he's like, you know, going in two gears. Like when he's in school, it's right. one thing. And when he's at home, he's sort of like passive, just like watching like a movie of a classroom, really not participating or not engaging. And, and imagine, let's throw one more thing into it is, so we have the in school, the out of school, but then there's also these asynchronous environments that are, you know, really text laden. Right. And those, you know, talk about like, it's hard to read body language and facial expressions and things in Zoom, but then trying to read all the context clues and all of the, you know, all of that through text. And, and that makes it even harder. And And that's just, but we're just identifying the problems. We're not getting solutions. Again. Yeah, not yet. Maybe we'll get to solutions, but, you know, but I think, you know, that, that reminds me too, that one of the, and I think you and I have similar, um, are similar in this regard, right? One of my, one of the components I think that makes for my 
the the way that I teach, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say this, but um, is that like I have I have a sense of humor, and my sense of humor can sometimes be snarky, right? And snarky can work really well, especially with like right. teenage kids in a face to face context. Um, but it can go really fast awry in remote or, as you say, in like any kind of online. Like if you yeah. if these aren't people you have an established relationship with, and you get a little you know try to be funny in an email, suddenly you're like reeling all that back in trying to explain, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. I, that was bad tone. And, and so, you know, that's really hard because that's how, that's one of the ways that I actually connect with my students um, is through this, like giving them a hard time about stuff, but that can go really badly wrong in an environment where you can't read tone. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I had a class this week that uh, I kind of felt did that, that where I was uh, trying to engage the the students in conversation and I was presenting like different perspectives and I was like, well, what about this? And then at one point, one student, I could see in the camera that she visibly changed her facial expression. And at that point, you know, I was trying to retract it, you know, and then I don't know if I was helping it. And then... I kind of felt, and I've replayed this lesson in my head like two or three times over the last couple of days. Hmm. Um, thinking, okay, did it go south? Because I don't even know if it went south, right? right. I, I I think it did. Yeah. Um, maybe with this student, um, but it's really hard for me to gauge because you know the things I'm doing, I might be inferring based on the things I see. Because I, I had another conversation with. Uh, my uh, student yesterday, I had uh, one of the things I did this week with my students that I required all of them to meet one-on-one with me. And so, uh, so I did it in Zoom and I was trying to talk to the student and when she was like, to me, was looking visibly upset. And I, I asked point blank, I said, are you okay? Cause it looks like you're vi- visibly upset. And she's like, no, I'm totally fine. I'm just tired. And I was, you know, completely misreading her mm-hmm. facial expression, but it was so hard because that was all I was getting, right? Was yeah. this, you know, it's almost like this two-dimensional perspective of this, you know, it's like almost like, you know, one and a half dimensional. It's not real two-dimensional, right? right? right, right. It's like, I just made that up by the way. Um, yeah, but very it, nice. yeah. You, need a, you need a word for it though. If you're right. Really gonna, yeah. I know you're the guy with the words. Uh, you're always throwing out the pandemification and you know, yeah. I dropped the problem tunity recently and nice. it was a hit. Yeah. I, I, I should have cited you. You should. I should cite you. Yeah. 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 So I think that the challenge is how do we do, how do we create this culture online that we want to build curiosity, um, you know, create the safe space to ask questions and safe space to, to challenge ideas and, and safe spaces to, 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 I don't know, be wrong. Right. And yeah. and to, to and to challenge students without them feeling challenged personally. Right. Right. Because I think that challenging them here, because I think that the students, are, at least my students, are feeling like um, defensive and resistant yeah. to participate, participate. Maybe not resistant is they're maybe cautious yeah, about participating reticent is the better word right reticent about participating especially in a big group setting and most of them i when i've spoken to them individually they're just like yeah i love the breakout rooms thank you so much for doing breakout rooms because Mm -hmm. i feel more comfortable in those things but we can't you know how do you go around and monitor six different breakout rooms in in zoom it's like the work harder yeah it is so much harder than moving 
from room to room. I mean, from table to table in a classroom and saying, okay, how's it going here? And like, you can, you know. Well, and the whole time you can hear what's happening at the other tables and and you get a sense of it. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, uh, that, yeah, it's hard. I mean, so my, my idea is if we're going to try and propose some things to think about as, as possible solutions, I don't think these are solutions, but these are ways to, to try and address the problem. I mean, one of them is um, the idea of being patient, both with yourself and with your, with your students. So just trying to recognize that everything, because we're having to work so hard to read everybody, everything just has to slow down. And that's okay. Like we have, you know, I think this idea, like we've talked about this before too, but this idea like we should try and accomplish during this mess, what we would have done in a normal school year. Like that is just insane. Like that is not where we should be setting the bar. We should be setting the bar at, we want to keep our kids engaged and connected and, and not hating school and losing their minds. I mean, that's really the the bar that we want to set. So the first thing is, I I would say, is patience. Like, give yourself and your kids some patience. And then the other thing is, I think we have to be much more explicit about what I was going to say that. That's exactly Uh, the words coming out of my mouth. Nice. So there you go. We share a brain. Yeah, we do. So, so yeah, I mean that, that we have to be almost have a meta conversation about this stuff with our students and say, look, this is hard for all of us. Um, I understand that. Um, and I'm going to be patient with you and, and I want you to try and be patient with me and we're going to talk about this stuff, but sometime we're going to talk about how we're talking about this stuff. Right. And we wouldn't do that in a normal class necessarily, though we may find that we learn things from doing that, that we carry over into the regular classroom. Yeah, I find myself having lots of meta conversations like this is what we're doing and this is the reason why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And here's all of it. Now, granted, it's with some students who are going to be teachers. And so that's, I think, something I would normally do in a, a, a classroom anyway. But I think having some of that meta conversation helps to build buy-in with students because they're just like, oh, this is why we're doing this. The reason I'm putting you in breakout rooms and having you do this is because of this. And so it can, and and going back to your first one about being patient, I think the target should be just be effective at the things you do. Try to be as effective as you can at the things you do. And, and it's not going to be the same as it was. And that's not even a, it shouldn't be a goal. It should just be just to be as effective as you can in the space and to reflect on the things that you do and try to make sure tomorrow's better than today. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that's sort of like, you know, I don't know, pie eyed a little bit and, you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm well, okay with and, that. Yeah. And, and in fairness, it's a little vague too, from both of us. Right. I mean, sure. we're not, we're not giving like specific recommendations though. I think, you know, your point, um, about breakout rooms and other things, uh, you know, to, to recognize that even though we're, we're in a remote environment or a mixed environment, that it's still important to, to give kids different activity structures. So it shouldn't all be, you know, okay, well, we're in remote. So now I have to default to lecturing or to worksheets or whatever it is that yeah. you're, you would default to, um, you know, that, that kids, uh, especially in this environment, excuse me, in this environment, when, when people are, you know, not really able to escape their homes and are in zoom all day, like you want to give them, you want to mix it up. You want to put them in groups. If you can, you want to, um, you know, even if they're not in groups, figure out how it's, how you can organize their, the time that you have with them to not all be 
monotone because if you do that that's going to be the real mind killer right that's even that's worse than because that because you know well we all know that it's likely that's what's happening in many of their classes so if you can be the example of the people who aren't doing that um, it's going to get them even more connected they're going to say okay this this person's really making an effort to not make everything I do this sort of drudgery. So, um, so I think that that's worth thinking about. Yeah. I, I think the, the other thing that I've been trying to do is to build a little bit more choice and, and independence and autonomy for my students mm-hmm. to give them a little bit more ability to maybe choose the topics that we discuss or how we engage with things. And I know that, you know, I'm, I, some of my classes, I have like 20 students. I have one class that has 30 and it's harder to do it with that. And it'd probably be harder to do this with like sixth graders. Right. But I think that looking for opportunities where the students have a little bit more uh, agency themselves in, in the types of things they're doing, I think can help because so much of this is things that are happening to them. Um, and if they can find those little places where they have a little bit of control or we help to foster that, right? Or find those places like, okay, you know what? I don't, I, I don't care whether you choose this topic or this topic, or I'm gonna break up break out rooms based on these topics, pick a room or pick a topic and I'm gonna break you up with that. Um, I think those things can be empowering for students, especially yeah. when they feel so powerless. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, it made me think, um, your, your last idea there made me think about the unconference idea and how you might apply it here. So I don't know if you're familiar with this yep. idea. Yeah, so so you could- But our you, listeners may not be. Why don't you- That's true. Uh, true, right. So, so the idea of an unconference is that they're more dynamic and interest-driven professional meetings, right? So you have a group of people that have to get together about something. Um, let's say it's science educators and- instead of having a traditional conference where I'm going to come in and listen to Ollie speak for 20 minutes and a bunch of people will be in the audience. And then um, I'll be speaking down the hall a little later and there'll be much fewer people in my talk, but there'll be people there. (laughs) And, uh, and then, you know, that thing where you're, you sort of just sit and listen to each other talk, but you never really have a dialogue. And so an unconference is more about opening it up and creating a flexible dynamic way to let people self-organize. And then once they're organized into, you know, so, so now instead of giving a talk, Ollie posts a little thing and says, look, I'm really interested in talking about um, motivation and, and breakout groups in, in uh, you know, mixed and mixed teaching environments. Anybody else interested in that? And then, you know, 20 people sign up and then that group gets a room and they go and talk together as yeah. a group. It's not like a presentation. So your idea made me think about like, it'd be sort of interesting to think about having a class once every two weeks where you, you do like a little unconference. You say, here's some ideas um, that we've been talking about over the last two weeks, what might either you do what you're suggesting, which is sort of give them rooms, which, and say like, oh, people interested in this can go to this room. People interested in this can go to this room and talk, or you could do something. And this would be harder and you'd have to think about it more where the kids sort of say, well, based on what we've been talking about, here's some questions I have that I'm interested in talking about. So let's create some breakout rooms around yeah. those and let kids sign up based on their own interests. So I think, but some, I, that just came to me as you were talking about it, but I think it's a really interesting potential idea to, to give, you know, again, give kids more um, access to their agency to really make a choice about what they're, what they're going to do. Yeah. Cause I think like, 
coming back to it, I mean, this is such a like so uh, we all have all feel so powerless in this whole situation. And I think trying to find those places where students can have a little autonomy, have a little uh, agency, I think is the, the critical part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should probably uh, go, you know, leave it there for now and, yeah. uh, and well, put a pin all, in this because we'll come back to it. All these episodes seem to be like we're talking about the elephant. And this episode, we're talking about the foot of the elephant. And this yeah. part, we're talking about it. They all sort of connect together. And I think if you stick with us, I think you'll get lots of really good, you know, ways of viewing, teaching and learning. And you'll get a whole elephant. You will get the whole elephant. That is great. Whether you uh, like it or not. Yeah. So joys, anything bringing you joy this week, Scott? Yeah. Well, I have one that you knew was coming and, and uh, I've, I've had it on my list. I just haven't, I haven't spoken it out loud. So I did get the um, volume two of the old guard from Greg just came out and it it came out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, I don't know, but um, I did get it. I did read it. It is solid. I, I, you know, it's got sophomore problems. Uh, It's not as good as the first one. Um, And it's a little, it's a little too predictable and, Mm -hmm. but you can totally see it as a movie and where it's headed. And, um, but yeah, it, Either way, it still was uh, a lovely uh, little present to get from, you know, I pre-ordered it in whenever they announced it back in in, um, June or something. And so for it to have arrived was, you know, it's a nice little surprise. So that's what's bringing me joy this week. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good choice. And I love the art there. that it in the, yeah the art and the storyline I, I do think it's a little predictable but um still good stuff i will say for for me it's something that's brought me joy um and this is something that uh you know when this episode comes out it'll probably be like a month or so old um is uh the american utopia the david byrne concert film with spike lee that just oh. uh that, that dropped on hbo max uh and so I'm a huge Talking Heads fan from old, and David Byrne is just awesome. And I saw that I saw David Byrne uh, at the beginning of the American Utopia tour. He came to Hershey and sort of did a preview of this, uh, and they were still working out some of the uh, aspects of it. And it, it was very—I don't know if you're familiar with uh, "Stop Making Sense," but they yeah, have a stop. Like, we talked about that, I think, in a, in a previous episode too. Um, yeah. But the "Stop Making Sense" is the the artsy film of the Talking Heads back in the back in the day, back in the '80s. And so this is an updated version of that, where it's some some newer music, um, some older music. And Spike Lee has this, it does a great job with uh, with it because you kind of feel like you're there because it's it was a spectacle. Like the concert itself was a spectacle. I, I had never experienced anything like that. And I'm a concert goer. I go to a lots of concerts, not right now, but I have. Yeah, in, and in the day. In the day, in, in normal times, I would, I think I was planned, uh, planning on seeing like five or six concerts in 2020. So um, this year, however, I saw none uh, except for American Utopia um, on HBO Max. And it's brought me great joy. And there's so many awesome songs and it's just a visual spectacle. It is awesome to see. And so definitely uh, that's my uh, thing that's bringing me joy. So well, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I'm definitely adding that to my list. Um, I'm curious, would you recommend or would you not recommend seeing it back to back with Stop Making Sense? Because Stop Making Sense is arguably, depending on who you ask, the the greatest uh, concert film ever made of a rock and roll show. So I, you know, would you, 
Are you, would you be nervous about doing that or would it feel too redundant to do it? Well, I would think that's a great question. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say that would be an interesting activity. Um, cause they're, they're, they're different. Cause sure, the, of course. the one is much more of a, this is a concert that, uh, you're attending and we're going to kind of like, um, play with different dimensions of it. So, um, you know, we have the front men, uh, this is not making sense. So you just kind of like take different aspects and blow it up. Right. Um, and make it sometimes preposterous. Whereas on the other side, um, American utopia does this sh- strip down at times, strip down and playful and, uh, visual. It's like, so that at one point he says, I'm taking everything off the sta- stage except for the things that matter. And that's the people and the instruments and the people walk around with the instruments connected to them. So like somebody's walking around with like bongo drums, you know, connected to them. Another person's mm-hmm. walking around with a, a, a wireless guitar and, and everything is just wireless. So there's nothing on the stage and there, everyone's dancing barefoot and everyone's wearing the same suit, that same gray suit, that yeah. same, it is the exact same gray suit, except for it doesn't grow, like get big. Right. Right. Like, doesn't like have turn into the yeah kid in a in their dad suit sort of yes thing. exactly it's not that but it's but it, i think it's to provide some uniformity to to focus on the music and the people and the the motions and things and and it's so cool and i think there is sort of there's a book ending experience absolutely so i'm going to try that that's a i think i'm going to try to do that back to back that's a really interesting idea yeah well i think yeah i mean I haven't watched Stop Making Sense in a long time, but it's been on my list to rewatch. Um, so maybe this is a good motivator. It for is. We'll, we'll do homework. We'll both go watch both films back to back and see what we think. And compare notes. Yeah, because I have um, I have David Burns How Music Works like on my shelf right behind me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so, I, yeah. Well, it's it's helped me uh, introduce uh, David Byrne and Talking Heads to the kids, and so that's been a good thing itself. So. That's right. That's a, that's well. That's a thing for another time. But that, yeah. yeah, introducing media to your kids that you have like have an emotional connection to. That's a mm-hmm. boy. That's a, that that is a fraught thing, right? Um, because yeah, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff we're connected to is fantastic, and some of it's you know like not so like, much. Yeah, like there's there's some there's some films that I have a, a warm spot in my heart for that are right. deeply problematic and that I have no interest in showing to my children ever, but um, uh, repo yeah. man comes to mind. I just think, uh, Oh, there's a laundry list, man. Sure. I'm sure we could, I mean, Fletch there's, yeah. you know, I mean, Caddyshack, all, like there's so many films from like the eighties and nineties that are, that, that are not, have good. not held up well, that have no, not, that's like, no. hold on. Oh, from a different point of view, that is not right. You no. know? Yeah. No. Uh, anyway well that's a story for another day that's but, a story for another in between yeah so this is uh this is ollie and this is scott and this is and science in between we'll see you next time mm-hmm.